0: We've just been looking at this series on Acts, and we're still chunting our way through that. We wanted to study the book of Acts because we kind of feel that that is, you know, there's some foundational stuff there in what it means to be a church, what it is to be a community together. Gaz, can I nick a stand? Could you sort me out a stand? Because so, my left arm gets increasingly weak as I preach. I need to lift more weights, you know. So there we go. I'm not that short either. How do I make it high? I know I'm short, but there's no need to emphasise it in front of everyone because it's embarrassing. Thank you. <laughs> That's cool. Thanks. So, um, yeah, we thought, well, there's some really foundational stuff there and on, on what it means to be a community of people that love God, but actually love each other as well. One of the biggest challenges in life, actually, I think, is, is loving people. You know, some, it, you often hear it said, you know, church would be absolutely brilliant if it wasn't for the people. Because you know, we all get fed up with people, don't we? People wind us up. Someone once said that people are like porcupines on an iceberg. You need to huddle together to get warmth. Then as soon as you get close to each other, you prick each other and you jump back again. Which is true. You know, Everyone is normal until you get to know them. And then everyone feels really weird. So actually you know, learning to live with each other and actually love each other and get past that stuff is fundamentally important. But also understanding what the kingdom principles are within all of that is fundamentally important and we feel in these early days of setting up Redeemer King, we really wanted to establish what we might call our DNA values. You know, what is it at the core of what it means to us to be a Christian community. Now, before we actually read this passage, I just want to give you a bit of personal background on this. Um, I, I wasn't raised in a family that did masses of hospitality. Um, well, at all, actually. I mean, we'd never really had anyone over. Um, I think if we were able to plant landmines around our house and have gun turrets to stop people getting near us, we may have done that. You know, that was my family heritage. And uh, my dad was a policeman uh, detective who who didn't really trust people, obviously, because of the work he did. And the rest of the family were quite happy to go along with that. So, you know, actually, me standing up here now uh, in my early 40s, many years later... Uh, talking about loving one another is, to me, a miracle of God's grace because my DNA, my founding DNA as a person was don't interact with people unless you can make money out of them, which is you know, how I started my career, basically, as a salesman. Now, when God called me, I came to Christ at age 18 and had a rapid DNA heart transplant thing uh, to spiritually take place. The first thing that, that God did was actually convict us about the need to be with people. But for me, I wanted to be a Christian who kind of did what the Bible said, but with but, but conditional, like conditions attached. So, for example, I knew that very early on, this is now back in the mid-90s, uh, God was calling me and Karen to start a new church. We wanted to do what they called church planting establish a new Christian community. One of the best ways to reach people with the message of Jesus is to start new churches. Uh, So we wanted to do that. And and to cut a long story short, we believe that God identified to Karen and I uh, a relatively deprived estate near where we lived that we believe God wanted us to start a new church on. Now, I thought that's cool. I had a yuppie pad down the road. We had our first time. It was a bit of a yuppie pad, and I was commuting into London. I had a good job. Cameron was commuting into London. We had a good job. Uh, And I knew that God was calling me to leave the job, but I thought, well, I can keep some things attached still to my lifestyle. So my view was I could work on this estate, but I kind of keep my yuppie pad as well, which is a few miles away. Until one day, to cut a very long story short, I came home, and I don't know why Cameron was at home, Whether I. It must have been a day off or something, but I found Karen a little bit weepy in our bedroom, a little bit emotional. Um, now, I don't, I'm don't; i not a very emotional person, so I'm, I'm still working on that a bit. I get emotional at war films and helicopters blow up and stuff like that, it's a waste of technology. But I'm not a massively emotional person. But Karen was being emotional, and I said, why are you emotional? And she said, I've been reading this thing in Matthew's Gospel. I said, "What? what is it? She said, that bit in Matthew 8. And it says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And I said, well, that's a good bit, isn't it? And she went, no, I think we've got we to do it. And I said, no, that's not what it means. And, you know, when it says the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head and foxes have holes and birds, have it doesn't mean that we have to do that. It means that we have to have the heart to do that, which is often what we say, isn't it? I mean, it, you know, Jesus says, give your possessions to the poor. And we say, what Jesus was saying was, we've got to have the heart to share our stuff and give stuff to people. Uh, but but what I found about my life is, in reality, is that I'm a communicator, but Karen's a doer. So she will do it, and I talk about it. You know. So <laughs> that was lesson number one. So long story short, we, we ended up sending our house and moving <laughs> onto the council estate uh, down the road uh, shortly before Karen gave birth. And... Um, it all looked very heroic, but it was a, you know, it was a heart struggle in the background. But, but that was the founding story for me. And then within that, I thought, well, this estate, everyone's doors were shut. It was like Wild West with tumbleweed going everywhere. No one was interacting with each other. No one would talk to each other. Doors were shut. And there was a pervading sense of sort of hopelessness and aggression on the estate. So I thought, well, we've got to live a countercultural lifestyle here. We've got to have our door open. We've got to share our stuff. You know, we've got to invite anyone into our home. The Christian community should be welcoming to anybody. We should be giving everybody, no matter what their background, who they are, you know, what we think, we should give everyone a fighting chance of meeting Jesus Christ. And we we could do that through hospitality, keeping our door open. Literally in the summer, keep our door open. And then there was stuff like, you know, we should share our time and blah, blah, blah. But then what God does, I've noticed, is that when you determine to follow him, what he does is he arrows in on the particular issues of your life, which aren't, you know, which aren't quite aligned with him. So I'm going to read this little passage out, and then I'm going to tell you a bit about how I think this actually works itself out. And within that, I'll tell you a bit of our journey, and and maybe the Holy Spirit will show us all uh, what we need to do in order to live this. So this is the early foundation of the church in Acts two. Forty-two onwards. Very simple. They, i.e., the early believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and that—that that is amazing in and of itself. Everyone in the church was filled with a sense of awe. Everyone. At the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. That's a bit challenging. You know, my Xbox is your Xbox. That kind of thing. A bit tough, isn't it? They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Simple as that. But actually when you start to unpack that, that is very very deep. So very very quick personal journey on this. We had moved on to the estate. We said we'd have open lives and then we started to think well we've got to share our stuff. But the thing was, in the background, I wanted to share my stuff conditionally. Now, don't think that as I'm telling this story, this is what you have all got to do. I'm telling you what the Holy Spirit did to convict me in a way that I was leading my life. Because one of my strongholds, one of my weak areas, not particularly anymore, I don't think. might find out after i preached it myself. One of the strongholds I had in my life was money. So I was a bit of a money man. I I liked the fact that I had a bit of money in the bank. I like the fact if we wanted to go on holiday, we could just do it. I love the fact that when I got married and I came out as an impoverished student, that my wife had loads of money in the bank. I love that. I love the fact that she could pay for loads of things for our new yuppie pad. I just like the fact we had available money. But now I'm a student at the time, Baptist minister, and I'm unpaid and I'm living... On this estate, I think after a year, I was given an allowance of three grand a year, and I had to contribute to my Bible college fees. So we didn't have a load of money coming in. Uh, so things were getting increasingly tight, but I had savings. So a lot of people say, "Well, I haven't got any money, but I've got a little bit of money in the bank." Now I had a bit of money in the bank, but gradually it whittled down. Without going to masses of detail, I went down to my last thousand pounds, and then I was visiting this family on the estate, and I and I. You know, because you've got to share your life, open your home, be generous, love people. And I go and visit this family, and, and the father was dying, terminally ill. And they had a daughter who was phenomenally talented at art, and needed to take it to the next level. So I'm, this is in the mid-90s. I'm having a cup of tea around their house, and they're all a bit teary. And I said, why are you emotional? I said, because we really want our daughter to go and do this art course. And I said, why can't you do it? He said... It's going to cost a £1,000. Now, I have my last £1,000 in the bank. So as I'm sitting there, you know, I've got this in the background here. This is, a, you know, I'm planting a church. This is my foundational verses of planting a church. These are the verses you use to plant a church with. God says to me my heart, I mean, it's not an audible voice. You just know. I want you to give him £1,000. So I start having a, I'm sitting at the coffee table having a mug of tea, and I'm having a chat with, with, with God. In my head, and I'm saying, but if I give them a thousand pound, they'll have it, and I won't have it. So what's the point in that? Then I'm going to need a thousand pound, and I just felt God say, just get on with it. So I go home to Karen, and I say, look, if I give them a thousand pound, no have a thousand pound. Karen says, we're well, just giving them the money. They Oh no. Anyway, long story short, I anonymously put a thousand quid through the door. I can't. Looking back, I think, what was I doing? A thousand quid through the door anonymously Uh, with a note on it saying you know something like from God for art college or (laughs) something like that you know and you really want to say for me remembrance for me you know but anyway anyway, put the money through the door and I've got to be honest you're gonna think now that then what happened was that heavens opened and I got 20 grand a week later no I just didn't have a thousand quid anymore you know and I didn't feel massively great a short time after that we had a little escort estate we had a J reg escort estate and I went visiting another family, and this, I couldn't believe it. I was like in a movie. This woman said, Yeah, I was married to this bloke in Hong Kong, and it turned out he was in a triad. And I got really badly beaten. I fled back to this country, but I can't get local school places, so I'm having to take my kids 10 miles on the bus to school. Said, Life would be so different if I had a car. And I went, Seriously? And I went, I was there thinking, You're kidding me? Are you serious? And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, you have a car, give him your car. But if I give him a car, I going not have a car. Give him your car. So I go to the counter and said, Listen to said, but give him the car. Oh. So yeah, I think there was a word, something like, you need to get on the bicycle anyway. You know, so... <laughs> um, and uh, so, <laughs> second mountain bike, you know, drove around there and we signed the car over, gave him a car. I, think I haven't got a car anymore, it's absolutely pointless. Uh, a short time after that, it's like, I kid you not, I've got a really nice watch. I've got a lovely watch. And I'm walking down the road and there's a, there's a fellow walking towards me and I, and I feel this inner voice because I'm learning how to hear the Holy Spirit here because it's all new to me, like it will be for some of you. I'm learning. And I've learned that if you hear the Holy Spirit speak to you, if you don't go for it and be prepared to look stupid, that moment passes. And you don't get that moment back. It's amazing. Someone once said, how many people will be prepared to say, I'll take a bullet for Jesus but not be embarrassed for him. That's really interesting. So anyway, I walk up to this fella and I, and I feel God saying to me, ask him the time. I said, but I'm wearing a watch. Why don't I ask a bloke the time and I'm wearing a watch? So I said, ask him the time. So I walked up to this bloke and said, oh, this is a bit silly, but I'm just a pastor starting up a new church. And I feel God saying to me, they'll ask you the time. So, have you got the time? And he said, no, I don't have a watch. And I thought, oh no. So I said, I think I need to give you my watch. And he said, no, wait, this is amazing. He said, I've just moved into this country from Jamaica. My family and I, were Christians. We're looking for a new church. I thought, wow, that's amazing. Anyway, I thought, now he's not going to want my watch. And he said, I'm so grateful for your watch as well. That is so kind. I thought, that's not meant to happen. You know, it's not meant to happen. So I gave him my watch, and they never came to the church. So that was like a double hit. And then about a week or two after that, I was walking up to church and there was a down and out guy, like a homeless guy, in, in this road near the Baptist church. And there was never any homeless people down that road, ever. And I, I got talking to him and he actually came up to me. I'm wearing a three quarter length uh, leather jacket. And this bloke, this this homeless guy, says, That's a nice coat. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he said, I think it's about my size. I thought, How brazen can you get? So I just said to him, Do you want my coat? And I, he went, Yeah. So he put the coat on and it fitted him nicely. And I went to church and I preached. Then I came out and it was raining. And I, I just got home in the rain. I'm all soaking wet and a bit wet anyway. And I, I came in and Karen's like, "What? Are you, where's your coat? You know?" And I, almost like a look of, what do you do that for? And it's like, well, you told me to do everything else every other time. <laughs> but anyway, so I gave the, the bloke my coat. And we're sitting there. This, this is amazing, isn't it? You remember this. Uh, Karen will remember this. I have witnesses to this. We're sitting there watching TV, and we used to have this old TV that Karen's granddad got from Oxfam, which is really cool because when you press the off button on the remote, it used to ping out the button. It used to go, and the button used to fly out. We used to try and catch it in the baby seat. But anyway, um, we're watching this drama program, and and, um, and and there's this guy on there wearing a three-quarter length black suede jacket, and Karen says something like, "I mean, it's, you know, a long time ago, uh, that coat would really suit you." And I went, like, "Yeah, whatever, you know." And, and literally, that evening, as we were watching that program, the doorbell went. And it was a woman who, who I'd led to Christ a couple of weeks previously. And she was carrying a big carrier bag. And she said, I took this, this round to my boyfriend, but it's too big for him. So I thought it might fit you. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> so <laughs> I opened the bag. I'm in the hallway. It's a three-quarter length black suede jacket. This program's still on TV. And I put it on in the hallway, and it's a perfect fit. I mean, it's a nice jacket, you know. Literally, I walked into Karen in the lounge and just went, (laughs) 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 "Check me out!" And it was the first time. I mean, it was like God was stripping me back, saying, "Do you trust me? Do you trust me?" I didn't, you know. I didn't get you know loads of stuff and thousands of pounds. But he's saying, "Would you trust me?" And did you know that over the next eighteen months? I must have had about four or five people give me cars and I gave every single one of them away and I never, never ever was without a car. Someone would give me a car, one of them I crashed. They gave me a car, crashed it about a month later and I have got thousands, many thousands of pounds more than the insurance value was worth so I was able to buy another car and give someone a car. When you trust me, I'll do this. Will you trust me? Now how, how, how much are you trusting me I think God says? You know, you can have the heart for it, but are you you really prepared? Are you really gonna do it? Now, I'm not saying for all of you it's gonna be about cars, watches, coats, (laughs) wallets, all of that stuff, but that, that was a stronghold for me. For others of you, it might be opening your home, you know, practicing hospitality. Did you know that the key to success in sharing your faith with people is generosity and hospitality? We can pray all we want, but actually, if people don't see the two things match up, if we are not living our lives well and generously, really like doing hospitality well and open up our lives, people don't see the two things correlate. That is really true. And for some of us, a stronghold might be, I kind of, I just like my own space. That was another one that Karen and I had. We liked our own space, and then we were in a big church. We I mean, Simon and there. we were in a big church, and. Um, we had gap year youth people. And, and in a big church, we couldn't find anyone to, to open a home and put this person up. And we kind of felt, well, we need to do it. And we had a small house, I thought we need to do it. And so poor Emily and Annie, they were stuffed into one room in bunk beds. You couldn't open a door on the bunk beds. You know, it just had to squeeze around the corner. And we gave the second biggest room to this youth worker. And we opened our lives up in a small house and for a year. And it was it was challenging. I'll be honest, it was it was challenging. I came home one time and she was sitting out after work. And she was sitting in, in my living room with her boyfriend. And I walked into the living room and she went, You're not gonna be in the living room long, are you? I want my own time in there. I'm like, it's my house. Get out of my house. That's what you are gonna say, get out of my house, what are you doing? But you don't I think I'm being challenged. There's another time I got a free membership of the Sunday Times Wine Club and I had a delivery of about £130 worth of wine for free. And I said to her, my home is your home. You know, enjoy everything. We went away for a week. I came back, there's one bottle left. I said, what have you done with all the wine? Oh, I've been giving it away to people. I mean, that's a bit challenging, isn't it, when you're like a bit of Cabernet Sauvignon Blanc. Or whatever. Uh, so that was that was interesting. And it was just a challenge. You know, don't just say it. You know, are you prepared to live it? How far are you prepared to go? So I just, I just made a few bullet points here. Just headline words, which I think maybe are the challenges for us as we establish our DNA. This having everything in common, the actual phrase being used is koinonia, which means having everything in common. Can you share everything in common? Could you not have exclusive claim over your possessions is what the passage is saying. Now that's that's really challenging. And I suppose if you were to radically work that out, that would be, you know... You've got three cars, and there's someone who hasn't got a car. Can you give them a car? You've had a holiday, someone hasn't been able to afford a holiday. Can you can you pay for them to have a holiday? You know, you 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 have lots of food. There's someone who might be struggling. Can you slip them some money so they can live better for a week? You know, there's someone who's lonely. Can you can you share all of your time? Can you open your home up? You know, it's it's having things in common. It's radical generosity, actually. And and you know the fruit of that in this passage was that everyone looked on that community and thought, they are just different. I mean, they're different. Not only are they joy-filled, they're actually loving each other. I mean, like, they're really loving each other. You know, because money talks, doesn't it? And time talks. And the sharing of possession. Possessions talk. So I would think... One bullet point might be, how do we use our stuff? That's a deep theological word for possessions. Stuff. How do we use our stuff? Are we prepared to lend with the possibility it might not come back? You know, are you prepared to bail someone out? You know, can, you, can you share of the stuff that God has blessed you with? And here's the principle. If we truly believe that we are saved by grace... If we truly believe that nanosecond by nanosecond, because this is I believe is true, we only live and breathe because God permits us to, if we believe we are safe from hell by a thread of God's grace, and a man died for us called Jesus Christ, and we owe everything to him, it ain't really all that, is it, to lend someone a car for a few months? That's actually the bottom line, isn't it? And it might need to be longer. Now, I'm saying this, and I'm selling my sports car at the moment, Now, and and I'm not giving that to anybody. So I'm just going to establish that. That's a joke. I hope the Lord's not convicting me now. That would be terrible. (laughs) Anyway, I've done it before, Lord. And that's the thing. You say, I've done it before, Lord. Do I really need to do this again? Well, yeah. Yeah, sometimes you do. Because sometimes you need to come back to those lessons and test your heart. But if we really believe we're saved by grace then actually it's not all that is it to give someone a bit of money or a bit of time. So how do we share our stuff? One of the things I'm thinking that we could introduce was something I did in the, we did in the church years ago. We had this thing called, it was very imaginatively called, The List. And people would list on there things that they had. Tools, cars, skills, and it was all stuff that was freely available. So anyone could come into the community of that church, this is now being very practical, Anyone could come into the community at church and say, yeah, I really need a jet washer. You know, actually, I could really use a van for a week. Actually, I really need some help with my plumbing. And people were tithing their time, they were tithing their skills, and they were lending of their possessions. And very often, there was a whole list of stuff where people would say, I've got this, and some are high value, and and it needs a new home. Now, in a society now where we are very individualized, we're all living in our own bunkers and silos and our own homes, Actually, that's a way of breaking down barriers, isn't it? So I think we will be looking to, you know, start some of these things up to help us live in community effectively. Because you might be sitting there thinking, actually, I've got some skills, or I've got some tools, or I've got some stuff. And actually, it's even things like the setup that John mentioned. Actually, getting here early and just hanging out together and doing stuff. It's just a brilliant way of being community. Now, obviously, we don't want 80 people coming here early and setting up, but it is cool when we start to live our lives together and share of ourselves. So that's a practical thing we can do. It might be time that we need to give. You know, many of us are, are, are short on time. But I once spoke to a very wise... You know, I've always made it a point to have mentors. and One of my mentors said to me recently, when I said to him, out all the things you've learned in your journey with Jesus Christ, what what would you say? You, you know, is the one thing you'd like to pass on? And he said, "Simple as this: spend more time with people. Open our homes up. Eat together. Have a have a bowl of pasta. Have a glass of something. Spend time with each other. Because the more we get to know each other, the more we do community together. I'll let you into a little secret: the more potential there is for a little row every now and again." more potential there is for us to maybe even just possibly wind each other up a little bit it's much easier smoothed over isn't it if you had a bit of spaghetti bolognese together the week before you spend time eating together being together that really does help but also there will be people here who are lonely and wouldn't it be great if we were to have a Christian community here where no one spent Christmas on their own or you know after Sundays, we invited each other back to our homes for meals. And I understand that we need our own space too. But wouldn't it be good if we could be pretty sure that this is a Christian community, a family, no matter how big we get, no matter how much God graces this, where actually the loneliness is not something that happens. And that's why we do tea and coffee at the start. You know, we, we want you to come into the smell of good coffee and, and nice music and just feel at home with each other. Because we're meant to be a family. So maybe there's a way we can give time and facilitate that. And just maybe we need to think about how we give. You know, give financially. You know, now, some people have rules about giving. Some churches encourage 10%. I just think God says in the Bible, you know, set aside a monthly sum and keep with your income and give joyfully. But I do know this, that I think we are called here for a town-wide outreach where we are really blessing this town and blessing this community, working in partnership with other churches, going the extra mile, everything we do is high quality, where we've got teams of people deployed so that we can communicate the message of Jesus and we do it well. And that does that is going to require finance. We haven't made a big thing of that yet, but we are in a process of setting up bank accounts and stuff so that we can actually bless people. I'd, I'd want to know that we have funds available so that we can just, bless people in our community wouldn't that be cool where we saw a need and we can meet it you know where we can actually pay for good stuff to happen so that's something we need to think about too and to fair to say it does cost money to open up our homes and i understand that but i think you know radical christian community practice well is costly in time money and just letting your barriers down and living life well together and some of you may be called to go the extra mile on that. Uh, it may be a challenge that the Holy Spirit wants to give us in the way that we handle the good things that God has given us. Uh, for me, uh, just to close out, I, I find that a perpetual challenge in my life. I find that I win a victory, then I have to relearn that again. And I think all of us, this is a chance, a new church is a chance to think afresh about how we live in our lives. You know, as you follow Jesus Christ. And the punchline is in this, the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So quite simply, I think that people were looking on at this dynamic Christian community that was flowing in love and generosity and grace and forbearance and radically living out their lives in front of Jesus. And people looked at it and thought, these guys are just different. I mean, maybe a bit weird sometimes. But it's so different, it's compelling. Wouldn't that be amazing? I just think that's my prayer really as we started up this church that people look at us and they can't quite fathom it. An expression I often use when I'm training evangelists out there is can you live your life in such a way that you put stones in people's shoes? That that people walk away from you with a little limp. I think they, uh, I keep saying this, I keep saying, I'll say it often here. Can you live your life in a way that leads people walking away with a slight quizzical limp? Like I've just had this interaction with someone and it's just confusing me because there's something different about them. I said that a couple of weeks ago, Just want to emphasize that again now. Let's think this week about how we can do that. Why don't we stand together and we'll pray and we'll think on these things and Gaz will lead us in some worship and a chance to pray and think and reflect It may, be, it may be that you know, God wants to challenge us, uh, even this week, or even as you're sitting there thinking, actually, yeah, I, I need to do that. There's something here I need to do. So, Holy Spirit, we, we pray as we think about your word there. People had things in common. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And people filled in awe at the wonders and miraculous signs that were done. And it does seem to us, Father, that your spirit moves in power where people live appropriate lives in front of you. So Father, we pray you challenge us and help us to be your people, radical people who love you and follow you.